Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The models continue to change, especially regionally in Illinois. Things are completely different uh, in the southern part of the state. And and not only that, but when I sit and I uh, look and understand, you know, this uh, capitalistic society, this 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 great nation that we have, and and uh, I see the damage that has been done in the financial pandemic uh, with lives ruined, dreams, businesses, that then that far outweighs. Uh, the COVID situation. That's Illinois State Representative Darren Bailey pushing back against Governor Pritzker's stay-at-home order. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Rob Hart, and this week we continue our ongoing discussion on COVID-19 and the reopening of economies across the country. Some places are opening up quicker than others. Illinois lags most other states in the reopen, and one lawmaker is pushing back. We'll get the other side of the stay-at-home order argument. Many people are timid to get back on a commercial airliner amid the pandemic. We'll discuss efforts carriers are implementing to make air travel safe. It seems like almost everyone is using Zoom these days. We'll get some need-to-know tips on how to give that video call a professional look. And we'll also talk about how child daycare is changing amid the COVID crisis. But first, let's get the latest on the COVID crisis with Michelle Cortez, health reporter with Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. Michelle, thanks for joining us once again. This week starts just as last week did with news of some more successful COVID-19 vaccine trials. Well, today we heard from Merck that they are getting into the race to develop a vaccine for COVID-19. That's really welcome news by everyone within the industry because Merck actually has a track record. They're the company that developed the only Ebola vaccine. And this new vaccine they're going after uses that same technology. Not only that, they are developing another vaccine that uses a similar platform to what we use now to treat measles. Now, both of those injections are just a one-time shot. And that's different from the other vaccines that are in development, also very helpful. So now we have multiple shots on goal when it comes to vaccinations, and hopefully at least one or two or maybe a half dozen will pan out. Now, does this have to be an actual uh, vaccine, you know, along the lines of the flu shot we get every year or the uh, vaccines that kids get uh, at various stages in life? Or does it have like one that that prevent that that results in herd immunity, or is there is it just one that could mitigate the symptoms of COVID if you were to get it? 
You know, those are all great questions, Rob. The problem is, is that we don't really have the answers at this point. We don't know what this virus is going to look like. It's only been around for about 140 days that we've even known about in the entire world. So researchers aren't really sure if it's going to act like influenza or if it's going to act something like measles. Those are very different diseases. Now, when you look at the virus itself, you can see that it doesn't mutate as fast as influenza does. And that's why we have to have a new flu shot every year. But it also doesn't seem to be as stable as measles. So whether we'll be able to just have one vaccine and have it protect us for our entire lives, that's unlikely. No one's really expecting that in all honesty. Certainly there's hope there, but it is possible that we'll get a vaccine that might protect us for a few years, and then that would allow us to get the virus itself under control in our communities and hopefully move past this. And on the subject of uh, hopeful uh, information, it seems like the virus numbers and the infection rates are all trending downward in the initial hotspots for COVID-19, New York, Chicago, and on the West Coast. So do uh, public health experts uh, think we have turned a corner or are they still advising caution? Public health experts are still very, very concerned that this virus is going to swell back up either through normal kind of cyclical waves that are very even or the more feared possibility is that it will come down in the summer and then hit us like a tsunami in the fall. That's what they're really worried about because at that point you could see some mutation to the virus making it perhaps more contagious or perhaps more deadly. So that's the fear there. They're not exactly sure which way it's going to go. We are starting to see some increasing rates in certain areas in the South, in some places in the Midwest, a lot of areas that had low rates in the beginning of the outbreak and have started to open up. And now maybe we're starting to see some signs of circulating virus easing up again as economies loosen. Yeah, our public health experts, are they going to be keeping an eye on uh, on on the infection rates in uh, Missouri and some other states where uh, there were you know, congregations of uh, large groups of people or on beaches or in resort pools over the Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen this over and over again, right? The belief is that the Mardi Gras celebration in New Orleans triggered outbreaks across the country. We've even seen some of the folks that were coming back from Italy early in the outbreak. They seeded infections from from around the world. We've seen in Lake of the Ozarks, there was a lot of people partying, the beaches this Memorial Day weekend, and the parks. So many people have been out. And absolutely, if you are not keeping your distance from other people, if there is virus circulating, you are putting yourself at risk. And they do expect that we're going to see increasing numbers. The question is whether or not we can handle those. And because we expect the outbreak to decline a little bit through the summer months, maybe our hospitals will be able to keep up with this kind of low-level circulating virus. People will keep hitting the hospitals, but the hospitals won't be overwhelmed because it's not as bad as it was in the winter and in the early spring. We just don't know yet how bad it's going to be. That's the latest on the national response to COVID-19. Now let's turn our attention to the stay-at-home order in Illinois. One Republican lawmaker says Governor Pritzker has gone too far. Joining us now is Illinois State Representative Darren Bailey. Representative, did you see yourself becoming a statewide or national figure due to your refusal to wear a mask? No, no, I never saw this coming at all. But, you know, I've raised a I've raised my wife and I have raised four children and we have just uh, 
we've always told them, you know, you don't just go along with the flow, especially when the flow isn't going in the right direction. You have to stand up. And, and uh, you know, we, we've been about that in our community here, in our school and in our church, but, but never to the scale of this. And, and I do believe we're just in these days when I just uh, – this what what these two instances that you're talking about the uh, flowed against every moral fundamental fiber in my body and and uh, it was time to take a stand now this is a very emotional issue for seemingly everybody uh there you could you could start a debate at the drop of the hat uh, uh trying to balance the merits between uh public health and also uh the right of people to go as they please and to participate in the economy and uh some might say that you're not taking this seriously. Uh, do you believe the threat of COVID-19 is real? And, and do you believe that people should take uh, responsible actions to prevent the spread? I, yes, I believe there's a, you know, there's a, there's a flu. There's a, there's something out there. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, the powers that be, the information, number one, they've given us and the information, number two, that they haven't given us uh, is, 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 you know, some of my dilemma as far as uh, as far as uh, taking this to the extent that uh, Governor Pritzker wants to take it to, we haven't seen the deaths. We we the models continue to change, especially regionally in Illinois. Things are completely different uh, in the southern part of the state. And and not only that, but when I sit and I uh, look and understand, you know, this uh, capitalistic society, this 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 great nation that we have, and. And uh, I see the damage that has been done in the financial pandemic uh, with lives ruined, dreams, businesses, that then that far outweighs uh, the COVID situation. I just, uh, it's sickening. And I, I began to realize that uh, something is amiss here. Something's wrong. We're Americans. We, the whole mask issue, I have said from day one, uh, the mask issue is not about health. I've worn these masks for years, cleaning out grain bins with, with heavy and thick dust. And, uh, and when I sat on the House floor and you see these hundreds of pictures uh, that, you were, that were sent to me throughout session, and I sat right there and looked at it of, of representatives after Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and early Sunday morning, um, you know, were taking their masks off for long periods of time and, and wearing basically handkerchiefs for masks uh, you know, something's not something's not adding up here. When the General Assembly uh, convened in a convention center in Springfield last week, uh, they did wear masks during their socially distanced session. Uh, you did not. Your colleagues uh, voted you off uh, what was serving as the House floor. Uh, do you think less of your colleagues in the General Assembly because of what happened? Nah, I just I appreciate anybody that does uh, the, the the colleagues that uh, voted me off. Um, uh, yes, I, I think that, you know, politics have got to change in Illinois. Uh, Republicans, conservatives have got to stand up and do something different. And and that's why I'm here, because, you know, I've only been a representative for a year and a half. And I primaried a gentleman that I was, you know, listened to and supported with uh, for 14 years who would come back every year, every year since 2000 and, and, uh, and, and 2003, 2004, and, and insist, man, I, I, I wear that red button out, and I voted no for everything, and those darn Democrats. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. It's time for some bold action because uh, most of these uh, career politicians uh, who have been in leadership for a long time now, uh, you know, you just simply ask yourself, as I asked during my original uh, campaign, are we any better off today than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago? No, we are much worse 
the conservative voice is gone, and it is time to regain that. And we do that with bold actions by telling the truth and uh, and working hard to regain integrity. But you know what? Uh, that threatens the livelihood. That threatens the retirement. That threatens everything that many of these people stand for, uh, serving as a career politician. That's that's the frustrating part out of all this. And to, to for them to sit and tell me. Uh, how I'm supposed to comply and just be a good little Republican and a good little representative and, and message my district. Uh, that is what is wrong with Illinois. There's, there's just not enough conservative leadership, and it's time, to, uh, it's time to, to wake the people up, and it's time for the voters to hold their elected officials accountable. I want to go back to the thing you said about uh, the you don't believe some of the numbers that are coming out about the spread of COVID-19. Uh, do you doubt the numbers that are coming out of the Illinois Department of Public Health or the Centers for Disease Control? Uh, where does that doubt seep in? Well, I question all of it because, you know, what was it been uh, three weeks ago when the CDC cut the number of, of uh, actual COVID deaths in half? Uh, you know, one day uh, one day they say you wear a mask, the next day you don't wear a mask. Uh, you know, Governor Pritzker's uh, models, how often have they changed to this day? No one knows exactly what model he's using. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, we were told earlier that uh, many of these deaths that are COVID-related uh, I mean, I mean, especially here in my district, there's been the few deaths that we've had, especially in a particular nursing home. Um, I've had family reach out to me and just let me know that, uh, you know, their their loved one did not die of COVID. They were suffering well before with something else. And and uh, right now, right now, as we speak, we've got these quote unquote strike forces. That's what they call them. These teams of uh, of, of people through the Illinois Department of Public Health coming throughout Illinois, going into uh, nursing homes, and even the ones here, I mean, how safe can that be, number one? But number two, they have one goal in mind. They're going in, they're testing everybody, they're testing every patient, they're te- or not patient, but to resident in the nursing homes, and every worker. And they have one goal in mind, and that's because the governor believes that these nursing homes have been hiding and falsifying numbers. And they want to attempt to increase uh, COVID cases. And thus far, from what I'm hearing from all the area nursing homes, everybody's numbers are coming back negative. So, uh, you know, that's the and so. And then there was another question raised that we cannot get an answer to. Um, when someone is tested positive, how many more times does a particular nursing home, does a particular hospital uh, retest that person? And then if they test positive again, uh, is that number added, you know, to the positive cases? So uh, still can't get a firm uh, answer on that. So, so yeah, there's just way too much confusion out here, and at the cost of, uh, uh, you know, the the, number, the 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 cries that I hear loud and clear are from the business community. We was actually up in Chicago on uh, on Monday, and uh, and it's just it's just sickening to see the devastation. The businesses closed down, shut down, and what 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 and this could possibly look like that people just aren't going to go, you know, back and unlock their doors and resume businesses as normal. There has been a terrible, terrible uh, financial toll, and it's going to change the face of uh, this nation and this state for, for years ahead. And, and uh, we, we as a, an American society have got to do things uh, differently, you know, if or when this uh, any kind of a sickness or rears its ugly head again.
Lastly, Illinois is a big state with a lot of different regions. You have Chicago, you have Metro East and St. Louis, you have Springfield, you have Rockford, but you also have towns like Xenia, you have Centralia, you have Effingham. Uh, it's a big state, and if you were in charge of this public health emergency, uh, how would you manage it across different population centers and different constituencies? I would have did what I believe the uh, Illinois Department of Public Health you know, pandemic plan that suggests and I would have let, uh, I would have offered suggestions. I would have kept uh, the Illinois Department of Public Health would have been on the front lines monitoring, and each individual county would have been responsible for, you know, reporting back uh, within the Department of Public Health. So the governor, uh, this is much like, uh, you know, what we hear about stories of, you know, the Vietnam War being controlled from Washington, and that's what's happening uh, here in uh, here in Illinois. The governor. Uh, sets up in Chicago, has no idea what's going on downstate, but the public, the, the individual county public health departments and the directors, they do, and they can monitor this thing, and they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place because many of ours downstate understand and know, and in, in some cases have given approvals for, you know, not approvals, but they realize these governor's executive orders are empty and they're hollow and they carry no law. And, and, you know, so throughout the Southern Illinois region, there are restaurants, there are businesses that are open and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, some health departments, you know, are, are, are monitoring and paying attention to that. So, so on a local basis, uh, that is how a countywide basis, it should have been monitored. And not only that, but we should have, we should have dealt with our uh, nursing homes and assisted livings uh, uh, immediately. That's the difference. When we look at these states that uh, uh, never did close, and we look at a state like Florida with a with a large elderly population, we see that uh, the first thing that they did was get into their nursing homes and assisted uh, living centers and deal with those issues. And uh, and that's that, and, and then to the point of New York and California, we see very specifically that that is where uh, the vast majority of their sicknesses and deaths are coming from is multi generational housing. Uh, nursing homes and assisted living centers because they failed to really do anything about that until it was way too late. Now let's look to the skies. Airlines are now implementing improved safety protocols in an effort to convince passengers that flying won't pose a threat to their health during the pandemic. Let's bring in Joe Schwederman, DePaul University transportation professor. Joe, I live around O'Hare, and it was interesting at the very at the very beginning of the lockdown when all travel ended, uh, when businesses ended travel, when people canceled their vacation plans. All of the noise around the airport stopped, and even during the uh, takeoff and landing rush hours, uh, you would just hear the occasional regional jet and a Cessna coming in for a landing at one of the world's busiest airports. But now you're starting to see some 737s back in the sky, some A320s, some uh, 757s. So it does appear that people are, they want to fly again. That's really good observation because airlines did cut down to the schedule schedule. We had to keep flying to all destinations with some of the federal funding. But now, now they want to add seats again. And that, uh, I think the airlines are, uh, kind of bullish this morning because we had a pretty good weekend. Uh, stocks are up and there's a sense that the economy is moving, particularly on leisure travel. And that's, uh, that's a new development we weren't sure about last week. And, uh, I mean, to be, to, just to be accurate, though, uh, the amount of air travel this weekend compared to last weekend, uh, or, or this time last year, is uh, still down substantially. But it appears that uh, uh, the, the number of cancellations, the number of empty seats is bottomed out. 
Oh, that's right. I mean, I think we're looking at 15 or 20 percent on most airlines of what they were last year. So it's a small fraction. But talk, mainly talking about bookings, that uh, there's a sense that uh, uh, bookings are picking up, and Southwest is noted, and this is a low bar, that the number of bookings exceeds the number of cancellations now, <laughs> which isn't isn't much to brag about. But, but there is a general sense out there with the uh, – uh, you know, with some of the restrictions being lifted around the country. International travel is still really, really distressed. You know, domestic travel were nowhere near last year, you know, but we're on the ramp-up phase, and that's uh, that's good news. How does this compare to a 9-11-style situation where, once again, uh, you know, 19 years ago you had an airplane hijacking uh, ending in these uh, these public, uh, you know, these images seared into our brain of airlines airliners slicing into buildings. You know, how long did it take the traveling public to get over the psychological fear of that uh, versus, uh, the, you know, the concerns to their health? You know, how long will that be a drag on the airline industry? Yeah, really, a really good point, because uh, 9-11, we did have that quick bounce back that, you know, if three, four months people were, were terrified there were going to be another incident, and there wasn't, and, you know, within a year things were back. This is more like a Great Recession-type downturn where, you know, there's just all these economic factors that are pulling against travel. You know, but the airlines are slowly making their case that travel is safe again. The public's starting to buy it. I don't think we're we're there yet. But United, you know, lunch that deal with Clorox where they're going to clean planes in a new way, uh, notify people. Uh, JetBlue is not going to fill empty seats on its Airbus planes. You know, there's a lot of tangible things that uh, travelers can look at. So that should accelerate the bounce back. But, boy, it's uh, it's going to take a while. And some of the estimates are uh, at least two to three years before we see uh, 2019 levels uh, once again. I think that's about right. And what I keep telling people is air travel had such a tremendous run-up from 2016 to 2019. They were back to 2018 levels. That's still a, a giant industry, so much bigger than it was five or six years ago. Uh, but uh, but that's probably right. Two or three years, the real wild card is is what the recession uh, has in store for us. But people are hungry to travel, and I think that's making August look you know like we may see some uh, semi-full flights. Certainly a new reality for air travelers. In the age of Zoom, everyone has to become a TV director. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media in Cambridge, joined Cisco Cotto on the WBBM Noon Business Hour with tips on how to make your Zoom calls look professional. In some ways, everybody's doing a job interview, even if it isn't officially an interview, meaning that, you know, the, for the first, say, few weeks of the pandemic, when people were shut into their homes and doing lots and lots of Zoom conferences, people forgave a lot. In other words, if, you know, you looked a little rugged or a little rough and or the cat was in your lap, okay. Um, however, those things have changed. And so people looking good, it sort of matters. And obviously job interviews are, are a vital part, part of that. But uh, there are some techniques that can help. So give us some of those because there's still some people I, I know. I mean, I'll just give you one. I'm on a lot of Zoom meetings and I still notice a lot of people with the camera down below them, which which really gives me a nice view up their nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And while well, I like that, too, um, there are options. For example, uh, really good tips. Uh, Marlena Dietrich, who was a film star in the, you know, in the thirties, uh, sort of insisted to her director, key light low, camera high. What that means is if you're going to get lit, in other words, if you're going to have lighting in front of you, have it below you a little bit or below your eye line. What that does is it reduces the amount of uh, wrinkles that you seem to have. Um, if you're, if you're tired and there's sort of bags under your eyes, that doesn't show up as much. So if the light is below your eye line, that's flattering and put the camera up. And if the camera's in your laptop, put your laptop up on a few books. So that basically you're looking straight ahead into the camera lens. So those two things, the light low and the camera high, actually 
or go about 90% of the way to making you look better. Now, what about the sound? Uh, what about the microphones? Some people are buying external microphones. Is that a good idea? Totally worth it. Here's why. Most microphones, and this is what you should check into when you get it, but most microphones are what they call directional, which means uh, they receive only the sound that's coming to them straight ahead. So a lot of the reflected sound in your room, say your room is echoey, or there's room, there are noises coming from other parts of the house, which is common when you're at home. Um, the microphone will only pick up the sound coming from you, basically, if it's pointed at you. Result, your sound is much better. You, you seem uh, healthier, better, and so forth to the, to the, uh, to the viewer. So to, if it's an interviewer and your sound is great and your light is pretty good, uh, that's awesome. And the one lighting tip I would give you is there it used to be very expensive only a few years ago, but LED ring lights. Uh, look up ring lights on you know, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart. They all have them. If you get something, and, look, and it sounds hyper-technical, but 2,500 Kelvin, 2,500 K is a fairly warm-looking light. And if it's in a circle, it's very flattering. You can get a little stand. You don't have to do anything, but just set it up. So 2,500 K ring light will make you look great. What about the background? I know at first it was really cute to see so many people doing their meetings from you know Mount Rushmore in the beach and everything. <laughs> uh, how important is, is the background now? Yeah, I, I don't do my interviews in front of Mount Rushmore anymore. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it saves on travel, but also it's really important. I think cutesy is out. Uh, what you know, again, what was sort of forgivable in the first few weeks of all this is now like, okay, let's take this sort of seriously, uh, or at least remind us at you, the viewer, um, are want to be reminded that the person in the frame is actually thinking about you. So yes, don't put some funny, you know, sort of space space race background behind you. But some people say, hey, no bookshelves and that kind of thing. I disagree. One of the, the last things I'd give you a tip on is we make videos for a living. This is what we do. Depth matters. In other words, a distance between the face, your face, and the background. If you're up against the wall, it looks like you're getting arrested, right? So if you want to be, <laughs> if you want to make it look better, look, get, you get closer to the lens than you are to your background. And the result will be it looks like you're separated, so to speak. That's the technical term. And you just look better. And a pro look to your video conference call is more important than ever. Lastly, there's concern about both safety and availability as demand for daycare begins to heat back up. Joining us is Bella Mote, CEO of the Carol Robertson Center for Learning here in Chicago. Uh, my first question for you regards uh, capacity limits for uh, daycare centers uh, starting uh, at the end of the week. Uh, that means that some parents, because because of these capacity concerns, we'll have to find another place to send their kids. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, there's a lot to uh, consider. The The new normal is something that we're all figuring out and, and, you know, step by step. So I think there are a couple of realities. I don't think that parents are going to grapple as much as we think, just because I think a lot of families are looking at what they have in place and how they might extend it. What we really have to focus on is the health and safety and how to transition back kids and families in a really careful and methodical way with staff expertise. Do you feel any pressure as uh, the owner of a daycare center uh, first out of the trench that uh, schools and school districts will uh, you know, base their reopening plans in the fall based on your experiences today? The Carol Robertson Center, one of the early, or largest early childhood organizations like many, are thinking about this. We know we play a vital role in the thriving of families as well as the economy. So no surprise that we are part of the, the universe that's opening back up. There are some considerations that we have to take that are unlike Chicago public schools, but we are working very closely with the state and city officials to figure out the guidance and how best to implement that guidance. 
The uh, state does have uh, some rules for uh, kids uh, wearing masks, and I did talk to some parents over the weekend, and they all kind of uh, let out a rueful chuckle when I said, uh, yeah, over the age of two, they have to wear masks. Uh, At your place, it'll be over the age of five. Uh, The the rules do say uh, they can wear a mask uh, if practical. Uh, Do you think a lot of five- and six-year-olds are going to keep that mask on throughout the day? Well, I think, you know, I think that the state and the city guidance has done the best it can to balance sort of reality of children and how they develop with what CDC guidelines um, recommends or requires. And I think that five and six-year-olds actually probably have more self-regulation and more understanding. But for us to expect that children leave these masks on at whatever age is, is a hardship. And so what we have to do is make sure that we are doing it when it is required. So when it's required is when they enter and exit a building, when they're in the hallways or shared spaces. And that's really what our staff is going to focus on. And with the ones who are younger than five, we don't want teachers to have to at Carol Robertson Center, when we serve a thousand children, you know, focus on put, keep your mask on, keep your mask on. So I think the guidance is appropriate and we'll do the best that we can to implement. And then very quickly, uh, are you and your staff uh, experiencing anxiety about people coming back or are you looking forward to it? combination of both. You know, none of us have lived through a, you know, at Carol Robertson Center, a pandemic, this normal sort of way that we used to do things. We don't, we can't do that any longer. So training, real appreciation around staff understanding of COVID-19, the requirements, the soft opening that we're planning to do, and really thinking about what we need to do um, and how to phase that in appropriately is what we're focused on. And I think that that will go a long ways in terms of creating that welcome space that's safe and healthy for all. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. And be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.